0: Well, good morning, everybody. If you could find your way to your seats, that would be lovely. Man, I'm happy to see y'all really love each other. You got to sleep in a bit this morning. Man was sleepy. All right, well, I have a real quick announcement before I pass it over to Pastor Jade. Uh, For those of you who would consider yourself a baller in the house... We have an opportunity for you with Midtown Madness. Do we have a slide up here? Right there. There you go. So we're going to have a three-on-three tournament on March 26th. It's going to be super fun. It is for all genders. So ladies, we need you to represent. I know I got my sisters in the back. They're going to be there. And y'all, it's ages 15 and up. If you can play basketball and you want to show us how it's done, we encourage you to come out. And try to show us how Even if you can't. Even if you can't, you can come out too. Yeah, 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 exactly. I can be with Pastor Jade. Hallelujah. Anyway, guys, we would love to see you there. It's going to be a blast, a great way for us to get to know each other and just have a good time. Amen? Amen. All right, guys. Pastor Jade.
1: Love it. Friends, let me, uh, speaking of putting people that aren't great on my team, let me tell you uh, an embarrassing story when I was a youth pastor, probably now, I don't know, 20 years ago, and uh, the church that we were at in Tulsa had a gym, which I think every church building should have a basketball court. That's my just my personal, should have showers and a basketball court. And uh, anyways, I was less sanctified back then, and I had a kid who showed up to youth group that night, and we would always play basketball after youth group. And um, I was just a little bit intense and a little bit competitive let's just say he was he was on my team he wasn't great i told him some things and he never came back can we just pray for this guy right now i'm really concerned about his soul like he probably hates the church because of me i don't know if i that's that's a burden i don't know if i can bear it guys um so anyways maybe we shouldn't have people who are a great play on pastor jade's team Or maybe we should, just to prove how much he's grown. Yes, that right there. Everything that's in here, just bring it out here. Let the Lord deal with it. Guys, welcome to Midtown. I'm just curious, who's actually first service people, and you just were like, nope, not doing it today. I'm going to second service. (laughs) Not that many. That's great, because first service was a little spotty this morning, guys. ain't going to lie. I was like, everybody's going to come to second service today. It's great to see you. Happy Daylight Savings Day. Christy said in first service, we survived Daylight Savings. It was a really funny moment. But here you are. It's great. Uh, I'm Jay Duncan, lead pastor here at New Life Midtown. We've been in the city now 18 years, and it is a joy and a delight to have you guys with us in this service. We are in the second week of a seven-week series on the topic of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus, the Son of Man? So here in a minute, we're going to go to the book of John chapter 10, and we're going to read the first 11 verses of John chapter 10. But before we do that, I'm going to ask that you pray with me, and we're going to pray specifically for healing for the sick, healing for the sick or healing for the afflicted in their body in any way. And there's one person in particular that I want us to pray for this morning. It's a young man by the name of Preston Roner. Preston's mom, Vicki, she actually lives half of the year in Hawaii and half of the year she's here. How many of you know Vicky? She sits with Thomas Blackshear pretty often. Um, precious, precious sister and saint of the Lord. About four weeks ago, she was rushed to, I believe it's Georgia, where her son got a blood clot in his leg. And that blood clot <clears throat> ended up giving some severe complications where the doctors had to immediately separate his muscle from his fascia. So there's actually, they, 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 they cut his legs wide open, the skin is still open, and they had to flush out the toxins that were in his muscles, which are actually sent straight into his kidneys. So his kidneys are shutting down, or they were shutting down. The last I talked with her last week, he's on dialysis. This is a dire situation. She's there by herself. So she's renting a hotel. She's showing up every day uh, in the hours that they allow her to see her son. Uh, most of the time he's under, and so she said, Pastor, I asked, Vicki, can we pray for you? Can I make this known to the church? She said, Pastor, would you please? And so I gave her my word that we are a praying community and that we would pray for her and we would pray for Preston. Uh, I also have another friend I just found out yesterday. I'll, na- I'll leave his name undisclosed who had a stroke, uh, who's young, who's my age, <clears throat> a very powerful voice in the kingdom of God. I want us to pray for this man, and if there's anybody else in the body today that needs prayer for your body, prayer for sickness or healing in any way, would you just raise your hands so we could see you and we can rally around you? Art, Kay, Sherry ranolds anybody else? If there's, okay, if you see, an Anita in the back. So if you see someone who's near you or close to you, either stretch forth your hands towards them or maybe slip over and sit next to them. And gently, kindly ask if you have permission to pray for them, pray with them. Maybe you can lay your hand on their shoulder or take their hand in yours. But we're going to pray for the healing power of God to come. One of the topics that's potentially in our series about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is a healer. Amen? Amen? And when we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus is manifesting and demonstrating and ushering in the kingdom of God. And one of the ways that he does that, is by healing body, soul, and spirit. And we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't just heal in the Gospels, that he still heals today. And we are a community of faith, and we're a community who prays, and we're a community that believes that Jesus is who he says he is, and he does what he says that he can do. So how many of you have faith in the room today to believe with me? Father, we pray today, right now, that the power of God would touch Preston's body. Right now, Father, as he is in... This hospital room being transported from different uh, surgery station to different hospital room. Father, we are praying today that the very presence of God would invade that room and God, that you would touch his body. Father, you would cause muscle and fascia to reconnect. Father, you would cause these kidneys to come alive. Father, even last week, I'm reminded that Sidron was saying that you are the God of the turnaround, that you take impossible situations, and you turn them around. And I am believing in that today and praying that you would turn around what seems to be in much, very much as a dire situation for Preston Rohner. And, Father, I pray that you would touch this body, that nobody could get glory for this but you. It would be an absolute miracle. It would be a testimony to every doctor and nurse and an intake person, God. Father, it would be a strength to Vicki, Father, I pray that you would answer every prayer that she and all of her friends around the world are praying right now. And God, we believe that your hand of healing will touch Preston's body. Father, we pray for my friend who just experienced a minor stroke yesterday. God, that recovery would come to his mind, to his body, to his soul. That restoration would come. That there would be no no loss, no damage, that absolute recovery and restoration would come. And for all that are in the room today, those that are listening online, we announce and we declare and we pray for the healing hand of God to touch every one of your bodies. Chronic issues and chronic pain and, and internal issues, mental health issues, issues of the soul. Father, we pray right now, come with the shalom of God. Come with the wholeness of God and bring your healing, and bring your recovery, and bring your restoration. We pray this today by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Guys, thanks for going there with me today. And please, when testimony comes your way, let us know so that we can celebrate with you, and we can rejoice in the goodness of God that has come to bear on your life. We're a church family, we're a church community, and we want to know when God comes through on your behalf. Amen. Amen. Last week when we began our series, we opened up with what I felt like was a timely word about who Jesus is as the Prince of Peace. And we're living in a world that is anxiety-induced, stressors abound. It seems like more and more there are less things that we can control, and it seems like more and more there are things that are coming against us financially, mentally, relationally, physically, that have a tendency to overwhelm us. And now more than ever, I think it's important that we have a revelation of who Jesus is as peace himself, that Jesus is the epitome of peace. He is the embodiment of peace. He is the fullness of peace. And when he left, he says, I'm leaving you with my spirit, who is peace itself. Earlier this week, I had a friend reach out and text me and he said, pastor, he goes, I just been listening to that message all week long. And every time I listen to it, More and more revelation comes, and I'm realizing that peace is a weapon, and it's a shield, and it's a fortress. And in this hour, man, I need to hear that word, and I need to walk in that word. So let it be unto you today. Today, we want to talk from John chapter 10 about the fact that Jesus is our shepherd. And not only is he our shepherd, he's our good shepherd. And by good, we mean that he is our ultimate and our perfect shepherd. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me out of John chapter 10 beginning in verse 1. Very truly I tell you Pharisees. Now the NIV says this, other translations do not explicitly name the Pharisees. And I like the fact that the NIV does this because we're going to find that as Jesus starts here in chapter 10, that it's actually a carryover of a conversation that he was having in the previous chapter in chapter 9. We're going to go there in a second. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheepfold or does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way. Everybody say some other way. way. That person is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate, say "Enters enters by the gate, is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they listen to his voice and they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from the stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech. This is a parable that he's telling. But the Pharisees, who he's addressing, did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find safe pasture. They'll find provision, they'll find peace, they'll find security in this pasture. In verse 10, a verse that we all know very well, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come. Say, I have come. Come on. The good shepherd has come that they, meaning we, may have life and may have it to the full, may have it in abundance, may have it to the max may have the life of God overflowing within us. And then verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, today we pray for a revelation of how good you are. We pray for another installment of revelation into the character and the nature and the life of Jesus, both then and now. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would captivate our hearts afresh and anew, and that you would lead us again into the life of discipleship, where we would follow you wherever it is that you lead us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're picking up the story here in John chapter 10, on the heels of events in John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a man who's been born blind. So I want you to imagine that you're excited about having a child, And then as soon as the child comes out, and you realize that there's no motion, there's no movement within the retina, the the baby cannot see. The baby's born blind. I think it's probably about, about 38 years that this man has born blind, and then one day, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, pierces and penetrates the darkness, and with a word, Jesus speaks a word of healing, and the darkness ceases. Light enters. And this man now, who has not been able to make out images with his eyes, is able to see. Now, there's a problem in this story. And the problem is, is that of all the days, like, listen, Jesus, heal on any day that you want. But really, like, why did you have to heal on the Sabbath day? And this is the issue here. So the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the community of that day, are taking great issue with the fact that Jesus is performing his miracles, which they consider a form of work. And the Sabbath day is to be a prescribed day of rest, where all work ceases. And so in their mind, they're thinking, listen, we're just doing our best to protect and to preserve the law. The only problem is, is that they're protecting the law while forgetting the purpose of the law. And the purpose of the law is actually to lead us into the life of God. We have to be careful when we care more about the law or the rule of the law than the purpose that the law is designed to serve, which is to draw us and lead our hearts into God himself and into the life that he provides. Now, what's very interesting here in the first few verses of John chapter 10 is Jesus is calling the Pharisees out. But he's doing it like he does a lot of things. He's doing it in the form of parable. And he's actually referencing the book of Ezekiel chapter 34. I want to go to a couple of verses in Ezekiel 34. The first six verses I'm going to read, but the entire chapter of Ezekiel 34 is a story of where God is through the prophet Ezekiel. He is calling out the shepherds of Israel at that time. Now, what's fascinating is, is he doesn't delineate or define who the shepherds are. The shepherds of Israel at that time refer to anyone who is sitting in the position of power, anyone who has been given the authority to lead. And what we're going to find out is that when God gives you, and most of us in this room, if not all of us, have been given some measure of authority and responsibility to lead other people. And we're gonna find out that when you and I have been called to lead people, that we're called to use that authority to protect people, to care for them, to nurture them, to help them, to heal them when they're broken, to bind them up when they're wounded, to, to care for their hearts and to help strengthen them when they're weak. So I want you to read these verses, and I want you to think about the seat of position and the seat of authority that God's given to you. Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophets, priests, kings, anyone who has been entrusted with the stewardship of authority, I want you to prophesy to them, Ezekiel. And I want you to say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. You're only looking out for you. You spend all your money on what you want, but you don't take care of your kids. You exploit the people. You abuse the offerings. You steal and you rob from the generosity of God's people so that your pockets can get fat So that your tables can be full, and the people are experiencing hardship as a result of this. Verse three it says, You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the finest garments, wool. You slaughter the best animals, but I hear it again you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, you've not healed the sick, you've not bound up the injured. You've not brought back the people who are straying and wandering. You've not searched for the lost. What comes to mind when you hear that? Remember that story when Jesus says that there's a shepherd who has 99 sheep. and One gets lost. And what does that shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And he searches until he finds that lost sheep. This is what Jesus is referencing here. This is the expectation that God puts on leaders, business leaders, classroom teachers. Classroom teachers, see the one who's lost. Classroom teachers, see the one who's struggling. See the one who seems like they're an impossible case. You've been mandated and assigned and authorized and anointed and gifted to be a shepherd in the sphere that God has called you to whatever sphere that that might be. And I want you to use your imagination because God has called every single one of us to a form of a flock where he's given you a realm of authority. Verse five, so watch what happens. Actually, let's go back into verse four. The the, the latter part of verse four says this. It says, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. In other words, you've abused your power. You have abused the power that I've given to you explicitly to heal and to bind up and to restore and to help and serve and strengthen. And you've taken that and you've used it for yourself. And not only have you used it for yourself, you've taken that power and now you have hurt other people with it. Verse five, he says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. Now, in the metaphor of shepherd and sheep, the sheep became vulnerable to the predators out there. But I want you to hear this and think about this in terms of people. That when shepherds and leaders and rulers do not follow through on their God-given responsibility, it leaves the people under their care vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to spiritual attack, predators physically. It leaves the people under our care susceptible to harm. So in verse 6, he says, My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for them, and no one looked for them. This is God himself speaking about the leaders that he put in position over his people Israel. Read the rest of the chapter, guys. It is enlightening. God goes on to say in Ezekiel 34, he says the very last verse of Ezekiel 34, God concludes the chapter by saying this. He says, you are my sheep and you are the sheep of my pasture and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. And what we find in John chapter 10 is that Jesus becomes the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel in Ezekiel 34, that he becomes the good shepherd embodied. So we're gonna look throughout the rest of John chapter 10, and we're going to discover some things about who this shepherd is. The first thing is we discover that he is a shepherd who submits. Now, this might seem peculiar to you because if you're anything like me, when you hear shepherd, I think about Psalm 23, all right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters, and he makes me to lay down in green pastures, and everything is so nice, and everything is so beautiful, and cute, and that's amazing. And that is definitely an aspect of who God is, but the first thing that Jesus chooses to disclose about himself is, I'm a man under authority. Look at me at John, look at me at John chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate. What is that referring to? It's referring to a prescribed and authorized. You could call this a legal point of entrance. He goes on to say that anyone who chooses not to enter by this legal point of entrance, they're a thief and they're a robber. They're they're suspicious. You got to pay attention to their motives. Another way of saying this is anyone who is not submitted to authority, watch out. And I want to say this right now specifically to all the young people in the house. Right, You're dating someone, and if they can't submit to their parents' authority or your parents' authority, if they're trying to enter in and get access to your heart in an illegal way, let me just tell you, they're a thief and they're a robber. They have impure motives. Because someone who's going to take care of you is going to honor the prescribed methods and the prescribed modes of authority that are in your life. That was free, y'all. Verse 2 says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, of all the things that Jesus in John chapter 10 could start talking about to describe himself as the good shepherd, I think it's fascinating that he chooses to talk about the fact that he is a man that's under authority. How many of y'all are in the 80s and, uh, you guys saw Top Gun, any, any, any Top Gun folks in the house, right? So Top Gun, for those of you guys who know Top Gun, it's the story of a young pilot and ironically, he goes by the call name of Maverick. And Maverick is this, you know, it's this hot shot, he's super talented and super gifted, but very natural to his name, he bucks authority, right? He goes against the prescribed methods. And I want you to hear this, Jesus is not a maverick. Jesus doesn't go rogue. In fact, Jesus is one of the most unoriginal people that you will ever meet. And here's why. Because Jesus is consistently saying this, I only do what I see the Father doing. And this is what is so important about this. Listen, power reveals character. You ever seen someone that... Before they get promoted or before they have access to authority or power, like they're pretty tolerable. They're kind, they're thoughtful. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they, they get a promotion. Or out of the blue, there's, there's some measure of, of authority that's given to them. And all of a sudden, it seems like overnight, they're kind. They're, they're not kind anymore. They're cruel, right? They're on a power trip, right? They're not listening anymore. It's my way or the highway. I would venture to say that was always in there. And power, when when we touch power, it actually, what it does is it takes the restraint off of us and it shows our true colors. Now, the amazing thing about Jesus is that Jesus is the all-powerful one, that Jesus knows no limitation on power. And yet what we find about Jesus is that he still chooses to be submitted to authority. And here's why, because every powerful engine must have a more powerful break. If your engine is more powerful than the systems and the people and the accountability and the internal choice to submit, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Because power that is unrestricted is dangerous. It's dangerous. And when God trusts you with power and authority, the question for you is, very simply is, can you still listen to other people's ideas even if they don't hold the same position that you do? Can you still give people your time when you don't deem them to be as important as you? Can you still protect and defend the innocent even when you might be more physically strong than them? Can you care for the poor even when, without exploiting them, With, without dehumanizing them? Even when physically or financially, you might be in a better place. Jesus never does what he wants to do. I want you to hear that. Jesus never chooses his own way. Listen to some of these verses here. Beginning in John chapter 5, verse 19. I'm just going to rattle some of these off. This is what Jesus says about himself. The son can do nothing by himself. Now you're probably thinking, oh Jesus, that's hyperbole you're just exaggerating. No, Jesus is not exaggerating. He is saying, I can't multiply bread. I can't heal the sick. I can't raise the dead by myself. I am absolutely and utterly dependent on the presence and the power and the gifting and the wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings. And listen, it's not just those powerful things. I think Jesus is saying, this is the way to live life itself. Yeah. Guys, I, I can't deal with the Samaritan woman at the well by myself. Okay, I, I, I can't deal with the grief of Mary and Martha when Lazarus has died. I can do nothing by myself. Friends, that's, that's an invitation for us. To see the way that Jesus goes about living the life of God and to follow in that way. Listen to these words. He says the Father has entrusted all judgment. Listen, the Father has entrusted. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can't judge unless the Father gives me the authority to judge in this situation. Another verse he says the Father has granted. These are these are these are these are humiliating words. Listen to this. It would be like me saying, hey, Jeff Jeff calls me up and says, hey, man, you want to go out tonight? Only if my wife grants me permission. Right? Now, like there's something that rubs against your ego. Good. Sit there. L- let that mess with you. Because, because that's what Je- When Jesus says it, we're all like, oh, that's holy. No, I need you to, I need you to incarnate this. Flesh this out. Whenever you trust someone else to grant you permission, be honest, that bothers you. It doesn't matter what it is. And Jesus is saying, I don't do anything unless the Father has given me permission. He goes on to say in John chapter 5, verse 30, by myself, I can do nothing. Listen, Jesus can be trusted because he has submitted. He can be trusted because of the very fact that he is submitted. And when he says that, of all the ways, I could pull all the God cards that I want, and this is what he says he says, I choose to go through the gate because that's the way that the Father has told me to go. Second thing that we find out about Jesus is not only is he submitted, but Jesus calls. Now, here's what I need you to hear about this, that invitation is the way of the kingdom, that so much of the kingdom of God operates by invitation, not by coercion. So when you hear that the good shepherd calls, what I want you to hear is that the good shepherd does not drive, that the good shepherd does not force, that the good shepherd does not manipulate you. He doesn't manipulate us into holiness. Do you ever notice that? He just lays it out there. You want to become more holy? You want to become more patient? I'm going to invite you into a way, but I'm not going to manipulate you into that way. You want to become more generous? I'm going to invite you. I'm going to give you opportunities to give, but I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to manipulate you. This is one of the reasons why I don't believe you're, you're going to be cursed if you don't tithe, because the good shepherd does not manipulate you. The good shepherd does not lead us by coercion. He invites us into the way of God, which leads us to the life of God. And the beautiful thing about this, friends, is that that he calls us in a personal way. Here's what I want you to hear is that God knows you. And as I was writing this out, I felt like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. And he says, I want you to remind them that not only do I know them, not only does he know you, but he knows your spouse. He knows your roommate that you're having a little bit of a hard time getting along with and their story. He knows your children. And here's the thing. God knows how you're wired. God knows how they're wired. God knows what they need to hear in the exact time and in the exact way that they need to hear it. When you feel like you're just bumping up against a wall, when you feel like they're just, they've, they've closed their ears off to you, I want you to know that God knows the way that your loved ones are wired. Yeah. He knows what energizes you, He knows what motivates you, He knows what makes you come alive. He knows what brings you joy and fulfillment. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your Enneagram number and their wings. He knows your Myers Briggs. He knows your disc personality profile. He knows if you're an introvert or an, He knows everything about you. He knows the keys to your heart. He knows what, he knows what to put in front of you to, to, to get you out of your rut. God knows you. And he knows how to call you in the way that you can hear. Friends, when I think back on my own life, like there was a time in a season where I did not want to be a pastor. Vehemently. Like I, I opposed it. I, re, I resisted. I, re, I repelled and I rebelled against the idea of sitting in this seat of stewarding the lives of people. And very gently, God sent someone and he called me. And then there was a time in my life where I thought that I was just going to give my life to the high schools of America. And God called me to the nations when I vehemently opposed going outside of the United States. Because God knows the keys to my heart. And then there was a season where I didn't want to be in Colorado. I wanted to move. I wanted to live in California. And now I can't imagine living anywhere else. God knows how to win you over. Right? I'm reminded of a guy by the name of Nathanael in John chapter 1, verse 47. Nathanael actually insults the hometown where Jesus was raised, Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus sees this. And so when Jesus walks up, notice Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't lay out a list of, hey man, let me tell you about all the great things that are in Nazareth, pal. Have you ever been to Nazareth? Give me a break. He doesn't do that, he doesn't defend and he doesn't attack. Here's what he does. He rolls up and he goes, guys, here's a, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing at all that's false. Nathaniel, he's, he's won him over. He's like, what are you talking about? Oh, like, oh, I saw you. And I heard what you said, by the way. But it's all good. Come, follow me. And Nathaniel's like, oh, my God, you're the son of God. He's like, listen, you believe because of that? You ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus knows how to call you. Luke chapter 5, Jesus shows up and Peter spent all night fishing. He's tired. He's frustrated, he's exhausted, he's discouraged. And Jesus shows up the next morning and he says, hey, can I jump in your boat? And by the way, would you mind just, just, just do it one more time? And those of you guys who have done any kind of hard work, just put yourself in Peter's shoes right now. Well, it's some guy comes along, you don't know this person from Adam, and he's like, hey, I want you to try it again. You're like, listen, dude, listen. I appreciate it, but I have been out here all, literally all night long. Jesus, I get it. Just, just give it a shot. And when he throws the net over on the other side, when he tries again, when he does it under his response to the invitation of God, there is such a bountiful harvest that comes in that it convicts Peter. Now, I think that, I don't, I don't understand what's happening here. Like, I'm thinking that if Jesus, like, reads Peter's mail, that's what he needs, Peter just needs to nail this guy to the wall and he's gonna be convicted. No, he blesses him with the kindness of allowing him to receive so much fish that it pays off all of his debts and even his buddies get in on it and watch Peter's response in Luke 5. Master, I'm a sinful man and you need to get away from me. Jesus knows the key to your heart. And you know what he calls us to? These are not arbitrary calls. Listen, he calls us to discipleship. He calls us to follow him. He calls us into the way that leads to life. I've been meditating on this verse all week long. I've heard it numerous times, but on Monday, I was exposed to this verse. Again, it's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and this is the message version of this verse. All of you guys know this. Most of you do. But the message says it in a way that's just disruptive enough that it got me to think about it and it allowed something else to work inside of me. It says this. It says, are you tired? Anybody tired in here? Right? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? Are you frustrated? Are you agonizing over trying to get breakthrough in some area of your life? Does it feel like the Christian life isn't working? This is what Jesus is speaking to. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? then he says this, he says, come to me, bring that to me, share that with me. And he says, get away with me and I'll help you recover your life. You know what this is? This is the good shepherd saying, follow me. This is the good shepherd calling to every single one of us in some area of our life where we're agitated and we're stuck and we're burned out and we're exhausted, Jesus is saying, come bring that to me. Let's walk together. And then I love this because he says, he says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Now, when I think about discipleship, I think a really good definition is, very simply, to walk with Jesus and to work with Jesus. The family and I have been watching uh, this series called The Chosen, which is so amazing. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to jump on YouTube. It costs about $2 an episode and you will see Jesus in a way you have never ever imagined him to be. The last episode that we saw, the disciples have just been called, Peter, James, John, and a handful of others. And they're walking to join Jesus in Cana where he's there to go join his mom for a wedding celebration in the story of John chapter two. And what I love, because I've never imagined this before, is that the disciples have made the decision. We've left the boats, we've left our parents, we've left our job, we have no more security, we're stepping out into the unknown of uncertainty and we don't know what this means. And they keep bantering back and forth like, what what, what are we going to do? And where are we going to sleep? And how are we going to get food? And then Peter tells the story that puts discipleship into it's proper context. He says, guys, remember when we were kids and, and dad would invite us out to go fishing with him? It's the family business. And he says, do you remember what we would do? And James and John were like, yeah. We would just sit there and we'd tag along and we just watched. Peter's like, yeah. like That's all we did. For years, dad invited us to come along and we watched dad made his own mistakes, and we watched those mistakes. And he goes after a course of time, and you never really know when it happens. Like, like after all those years of watching dad fish, when did they become fishermen? You can't really put your finger on it. The point is, is that over years of watching, there came a moment when they stepped in. And the lessons to be learned were their own. And the mistakes to be learned were their own. And that's the life of discipleship. Come, come with me. Follow me. See how I do things. Take inventory at the end of every day. And watch the way that I live life. Friends, Jesus is calling because he's the good shepherd. But then the next thing we find out about Jesus in verse verse 3 and verse 4 is that that Jesus doesn't just call his own by name. He, He leads us out. Look at these verses again in verse three and verse four. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus becomes the consummate example of what your life was designed to be. He's the example. Now I'll give you a quick story here in John chapter 13 the first few verses. Jesus is ha- he's about to have a feast with his disciples. He's about to have the Passover meal. He's about to spend an extensive time teaching them before he goes to be crucified, but before he does that, he notices that everybody walks into the room and everyone's feet are nasty. And he's looking around, and he's just seeing what everyone's going to do, and no one does anything. And so Jesus takes off his outer garment, he wraps it around his waist, he grabs the basin, and he begins one by one to wash the feet of his disciples, which is the role of a servant. And then he says this here in verse 12 of John chapter 13. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and He returned to his place and he says, guys, do you understand what just happened? Let's debrief this moment. He says, you call me teacher and you call me Lord, Rabbi, Master. And he goes, and that's right, because that's who I am. But now here's the real lesson. The real lesson is now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so should you wash the feet of the people that are around you. You should pay attention to the needs that are around you. You should access the heart and the power and the privilege of God to serve those that are around you. Do you know what he's doing? He's leading by example. Everything that Jesus does, he brings these disciples along so that they can see him in action. So that they can see him touch the leper. So that they can see him go into Jairus's daughter's room. So that they can see him have compassion on people that are hungry. And instead of sending them away to the remote villages, he chooses to take the resources that he has and utilize them to bless other people. This, friends, is the life of discipleship. Now we're in the season of Lent, which in the church calendar is the season where we we walk with Jesus in his journey to the cross. And my recommendation for you, if you don't find yourself right now in a particular part of the Bible, I wanna encourage you, find yourself in a gospel in the next six weeks. As we find our way up to Easter Sunday, pick a gospel and just rest there. Read it slowly. Read it over and over and over again. Maybe for you ambitious ones, you might wanna read all four gospels. But as you read the gospels, look at the life of Jesus and allow that to become the quintessential standard for your life. Listen, not, not, not a pastor not, not, not a denomination, not a denominational stance, not, not a charismatic personality, not a Republican or Democratic party. That's not my standard. Jesus becomes the standard for what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And the last thing that we see about this good shepherd, and by the way, there are several things that we could talk about. But I want us to look right here at verse 11, because the last thing for today that we're going to find is that Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Guys, he is a good shepherd simply because he chooses to lay down his life for the sheep. Out of his deep love for the father, he obeys. And his obedience for the Father looks like submission. He submits his will. He submits his choices. He submits his desires, his preferences, his ideas of what's best. And listen, submission is not submission if you agree. Submission is not submission if it's your idea. It's not submission if this is the way that you wanted it to be. Another way to say it is this. It's not submission if you don't have to say no to yourself, right? I've got four kids, and they're amazing kids. But inevitably, it doesn't matter what the topic is. Guys, we're going to go out for lunch. Where you want to go? Qdoba, 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 Chipotle. <laughs> okay, ser- seriously. I want burgers, I want burgers, I want burgers, I want Asian, all right? Uh, let's have a family movie night. Three out of the four kids, want one watching Kanto and the other kid wants to watch Jurassic Park. It's like, okay, so sometimes I feel like you're doing this like just to disagree. Chocolate, I want chocolate, I want cho- I want vanilla. Like, you don't even like vanilla. I do now because everybody else wants chocolate. Like, in the context of a family dynamic, we are learning as a family what submission looks like. And that means that I don't get my choice all the time. I don't get my way all the time. During first service, actually between, between the services, I, I got this text messages, this text message, and I felt like it was important enough to read and I'm not gonna share details about the name or the location of this person, but for those of you who are familiar, you might, you might know who this person is. It says Pastor Jade, I still stream in from the other side of the world once a month or so, and first sermon's message was great. I feel like this message is much of what we experienced early on in our first few months over here. This statement that you made near the end sums it up nicely. Submission confronts your will. And if you and I don't want to be disciples, it means that Jesus is going if you if you and I want to be disciples, it means that Jesus is going to say hard things to us. It means that he's going to lead us to places that we would not intuitively want to go it means that he's going to invite us by his grace to go to places that we are not going to want to go i said that first service <laughs> thanks guys wow, <laughs> oh goodness as i hear those words it reminds me so much of what we wrestled with before leaving colorado many people would tell us something like i could never do what you guys are doing And when we asked why, they often said something like, I'm not adventurous, or I don't travel, or I'm bad at learning languages, I'm bad at fundraising. These are missionaries of ours. I was never really sure how to answer those people because I don't really like any of those things either. I'm not adventurous. I always loved monotony and a high level of predictability, and yet Christ called me to follow. It's refreshing to hear that I'm not the only one who wrestles with the whole deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Many people have told me that they admire us for what we're doing, and yet I know that most of those people only see my actions and not the inward struggle. When Christ says to take up your cross daily, I've recently learned that daily actually means every day. I sometimes wonder if a few of those same people who have told us I could never do that might actually be able to do it easier than we can, and yet they rob themselves of the blessing of being formed into the image of Christ in the place of self-denial because it can be incredibly tempting to confuse the call of Christ with all the things that we wanted anyway. It's from one of Midtown's missionaries. Friends, what's the best, what, what do we do with this? Our good shepherd shows us how to submit. Our good shepherd calls us into a life of discipleship. Our good shepherd leads us by example, and then our good shepherd lays down his life, his rights, his will, his ambition, his power, his pride, his position. Philippians 2 says it like this, being in the very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to grasp for, something to take advantage of and use for himself. But he laid down his life and he took the very nature of a servant. Jonathan, if you would come. I want to read this verse to you as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. Because I I think the word of the Lord for you today, friends, is Jesus is calling you again to the next level of discipleship. Doesn't mean that the previous level of discipleship is wrong. It just means that there's another leg of the journey. It just means that base camp was great and you've been refreshed. And now it's time to go summit some more mountains. It's, it's time to go down into some more valleys. It's, it's time to follow him. It means it's time to pack up the tabernacle because the, the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke is moving again. It means that there's some scary places that he's inviting you into, but he's there with you It means that he's going to ask you to give up some things. It means he's going to require something of you. Jesus is inviting us again. But remember, listen, he knows how to call you. He's modeled the way to submit. Submission doesn't mean agreement. It means that he's going to go ahead of you and he's going to be present with you. And really what it means is this, that the life of discipleship out of Luke chapter nine, and if you would, just would you close your eyes here? I want to read this to you. Chapter nine. Verse 23, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross every day. And whoever wants to be my disciple must follow me. Friends, the way of Jesus is the way of obedience which a lot of times looks like the way of death. It means that when there's, my will is in competition with the will of God, obedience means like my will dies so that his will can live. Because unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, there can be no resurrection life. Jesus shows us as the good shepherd that the way to life is the cruciform way of an obedience that leads us to death. And what I want you to do here in the next 60 seconds is listen to the voice of the good shepherd. See if he might be calling you, inviting you, addressing something inside of you. Lust for power, need to be known, need to have your own way, the need for control, pride, Listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd today, friend. And then we'll come to the table. friends, would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to invite every single one of you to come to the table of the Lord to receive the body and the blood of Jesus. We'll all enter into this and we'll partake together. You can exit on the left, come forward, and I'll lead you. You were coming up here. I I just had this phrase drop in my heart. I think it's for somebody. I think it's for some person, maybe some people. The phrase, very simply, is resurrection follows crucifixion. I think there's some of you right now that are in the crucible of laying some things down, some things that are precious, some things that are deeply meaningful and deeply valuable. And it feels like a dying. Word that I got very simply for you was there is resurrection life on the other side of this death, friends. Resurrection follows crucifixion. I said this in first service, I'll say it again. If I'm just gonna be honest with you, this is this was a hard message for me this week. Because there's some things in me that God is calling me into greater discipleship. And I just flat out told him, I said. I don't know if I want to follow you there. And when I realized that, uh, it broke me. Because in earlier stages of my Christian life, maybe it was zeal, maybe it was immaturity. Maybe I didn't have anything to lose. And I was like, God, I was like, Peter, I'll go anywhere with you. And now somehow, some way I found myself at this place where saying yes to Jesus is a little bit more of a struggle. I find myself praying this and I'm going to pray for you and with you today that Jesus, if I'm going to be honest with you the path to self-denial and the path of the cross it's, it's difficult and it's a little scary and I've grown really comfortable with my way of life there's things about the way that I live right now that they are they're fun and they're secure and I enjoy them and I don't want to give them up, which very simply means that I need a greater revelation of the good shepherd, that I need a greater revelation that he's worth it. And I'm praying that for me and I'm praying that for you. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. It's a physical picture of Isaiah 53 verse four, that he was crushed for our iniquities. that the punishment for our sin that brings us peace was placed on him. Friends, this is why he's good. Because he, he paid for our sins. He died in our place. And he says, it's good on the other side. I've checked it out. Come on. Follow me. Because resurrection is on the other side of crucifixion. Let us receive body of the Lord. In the same spirit, in the same manner, he takes the cup when he's at this table and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant to my blood. It's been shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And friends, one of my greatest privileges is to stand here week after week and to announce to you the good news that because of the life and the death, the faithful obedience of our good shepherd, King Jesus, your sins have been forgiven. They've been obliterated. They've not just been covered, they've been removed. And you have access to God himself by virtue of the way of Jesus. So receive grace today as we take the cup. Amen. Be so, Lord. Continue Your work deep in our lives, friends. Would you join Jonathan as he sings a song of thanksgiving this morning? Praise God from whom all blessings. today as I send you out I'm going to send you as Jesus said this he says as the father has sent me so I'm sending you I want you to know that right now as you leave this place we've gathered together we've heard the gospel proclaimed, we've lifted up prayers of intercession we fellowshiped at the table powerful powerful morning and now you're being sent back into the quote unquote real world where God is at work God is at work fulfilling his mission to bring the world to him You and I get to join him. So you're not just leaving today. You're being sent by the authority of Jesus Christ to join him in his work. He's working with your neighbors. He's working with your friends, your coworkers, your bosses, the people you work with, your classmates. He's working in their lives. And you're being thrust back into the harvest field to work with him. So in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit empower you for your mission in the earth to be the faithful presence, to be a signpost of the kingdom of God, to be a sign and a wonder, to proclaim good news when the opportunity comes, to lay hands on the sick, to see them recover, to walk in the power of the Spirit, to walk in meekness and humility and friends, to follow the good shepherd where he leads. Because where he leads, there he is. And where he is is where his life is. So go forth now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys.